parents, well, they're no friends of mine. I say, we can go where we want to, a place where they will never find. And we can act like we come from out of this world. Ah, you want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio dance. on your website that nobody goes to. You're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World Podcast. Check it out, baby. We call I Like It, You're Gonna Hate It. So Jason and I are, uh, are gathered five songs that... Uh, that 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 we personally like and we think the other person won't like. Although that's not necessarily true because I, I know that there's some songs on my list that that uh, that he's gonna like. But I'm pretty sure that most of you listening aren't gonna like any of the songs that I picked on my list. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the 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 only thing is is like I, I recognize that these songs are flawed, but it's not. I mean, I generally like them. Uh, so, um, Jason, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. So it's, we'll, we'll count it down by five unless you, I will just, just by numerical order. I mean, they don't have to be like the fifth to the first, but what's your first song? Okay. Uh, number one hit from 1980, from the, the, uh, spring of 88, Debbie Gibson, Foolish Beat. There was. Okay, so to, to, to share some thoughts for that. Why, why, why is this significant? Why do you like it? Why, why is this? Why is this one of you know? And by the way, I, <laughs> so this, I thought when I said when I gave you said I uh, give you your five uh, five, five uh, I, I like it, you'll hate it. I just assumed that you're gonna pick your five favorite songs of Crazy Nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we, actually the funny thing is I thought when you originally proposed this that you meant. The five so the because <laughs> we were talking about that, but now I I spread the music out a little bit into different genres. Um, I, well, I I think it's a genuinely good song. I don't think it's a guilty pleasure, but I guess a lot of people would think it's a guilty pleasure. It was a it, it was a big hit around that time. That was a, that was a that was my freshman year in high school. That was a. a Good time to be growing up. It was a nice time. It was a it was a nice ballad. It was the fourth the fourth single off of her album. This was the second album. No, this was the first album. Okay. Who, which did better? The second album oh, the did first, better. The first album. Oh yeah. Okay. The first album did much better. It was just a solid, well done ballad. She yeah, I only... thought maybe I thought the second album did better because of all the hype. Because because it was like. You know, she's arrived. Well, you know what happened? It's weird. She had the second album. And the first single off the second album was a huge hit. That was that... Um, Electric Youth? No. It that was, wasn't the first single? No. I, I thought that song was corny. Yeah. Electric Youth killed the momentum of that album. It was Lost in Your Eyes. You know, oh, yeah. playing basketball. In yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was the single. And that was a huge hit. That was her biggest... The, the, this... The song we just played, Foolish Beat, and that one were her two number one hits. They're both top of the charts. And actually, um, uh, Lost in Your Eyes was number one for a few weeks. Um, then she released Electric Youth, and it just killed that album's momentum. And, and Electric Youth did all right, but but it was it didn't even hit the top ten. Followed to a number one single, it didn't even hit the top ten. It was 
She was like stuck at 11. Wow. And then she had what, in my opinion, was actually my favorite ballad, and the one I was originally going to pick for this, but then I decided to go with this. No More Rhyme. Also from Out of the Blue, right? From the, no, from the second album, oh. from Electric Youth. And then her singles moment, then her momentum dried up. Yeah, I, I remember when I first heard uh, Electric Youth, I was just like, oof. Yeah, it was like that some, was... It was like, like a... Like a PSA on Nickelodeon or something. Yeah. I tell you, I think Electric Youth killed her momentum. It really did. Well, she obviously liked it. She named the whole album. It was the lead the I'm sure she, in the studio, she was thinking this is like the the Who's Don't Get Fooled Again. <laughs> uh, we won't get fooled again. But um, there, 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 was, uh, there was something missing in that one. <laughs> All right. I like that song. Yeah. Okay, so here is my first, well, I guess I'll say my fifth song. Um, <laughs> it is uh, <laughs> um, Can't Stop This Thing We Started by Brian Adams. <laughs> Yeah, it was actually co-written by Mutt Lang from uh, the Waking Up the Neighbors album from 1991. It peaked at number two. He was riding the wave of, uh, of the Robin Hood stuff, and I think this was his last gasp of of, of, yeah. of credibility. Yeah, that, a lot of people hate this album. I actually, I I, I, I bought that album when it first went on sale. And In I, retrospect, do you, do you still like it? No. Yeah, I, I don't think it aged well, but I like this song. I, I think thought, Reckless Age is much better. Huh? Oh, yeah, Reckless, yeah. yeah. It's weird, like, the stuff on Reckless and um, uh, Cuts Like a Knife and stuff, I, I, I like that stuff. But for this this song is, it's very anthem-y, it's very, it's very bold, and it's very big, and I don't know, I just feel like he, he's, he's, he's singing very unabashedly, and uh, I think he's, it's got really nice hooks. Um, well, I, I agree. I, I didn't mind. I actually liked this song back then when it was a hit, and I did like. I do like the song. It was. It was actually the follow up to the uh, the Robin Hood song there. Uh, Everything I do, I do it for you, which was a monster hit and is really the song of that summer, the summer of '91. That was that was the song that just dominated that 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 period. Did he throw that onto this album? Yes, he put that, that song on the album. Um, so I guess. Technically, technically, this was the first single off the album, but really, People the, everything I do, I do it for you was the first single off the album, and this was the follow-up single. That was a good, catchy song. I just didn't like the song. That, I remember buying the album, and I did like this song. I heard it. I think I heard it before I got the album, and I remember thinking, "Wow, oh, okay, I'm gonna get this. I'm, I'm gonna check this out." And when I got the album and listened to it all the way through, I was like, "This, this is not good." Yeah, he's got other songs of like, like songs of drone. There's like there's some some ball. I can't I can't even remember. I can't I couldn't even tell you what the ballads were. It, Mutt Lang on every every song. I believe he produced the whole album. I think, well, I he's, think. he has a co is a writing credit on this song. You know, on an aside, Mutt Lang was 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 really one of the best producers in rock. When you think about it, I mean, he did. Uh, he did Back in Black, ACDC. He did Foreigner 4, which is one of my favorite albums. Pyromania, too, right? He did Def Leppard, Pyromania. He did Hysteria? He did Hysteria. And then he became... His production went from what I would consider really good production. Like, like Foreigner 4 is an amazing sounding album. I think. I think. My, some may disagree with me. But by a decade later, he was overproduced. He was what you would call overproduced. He was doing too much, too much stuff in there 
and, and, and his later albums, including like he did Shania Twain, who was his wife, and, and that stuff, it sound, it's too much going on. It doesn't sound good. Would, would the, his critics say this song is overproduced? Yeah. I, it's, I think it's a very busy-sounding song. I think song. this is when he transitioned. Yeah. I think this is when he transitioned his, his style. Um, you had, uh, well, Def Leppard Adrenalize, which was the follow-up to Hysteria, which was terrible, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I mean, that he's already gone off the cliff. Yeah, but but he did some of the great... He did, for ACDC, he did Highway to Hell, Back in Black, and then For Those About to Rock, We Salute You. Three albums in a row. What, what do all these like producers do now? Like Glenn Johns and... What does Mutt Lang do nowadays? Well, they made their money. I mean, uh, Glenn Johns put out a book a few years ago, and, and, and Mutt Lang, I guess... He's loaded. He, he, I'm sure he doesn't have to do anything. Jeez, I mean, it seems like waste. I mean, unless they have like, you know, unless they got some like uh, mental deficiencies. I mean, why? I was like, I don't hear anything about Bob Rock. Yeah, Bob Rock was was the guy in like the late '80s. He was the guy. I mean, Bob Rock was what Mutt Lang was for the early '80s. Bob Rock was the guy for the late '80s. I don't know. Maybe he's uh, he's putting on that sweater and uh, <laughs> what was that phrase? Well, he, he's he's hanging out with getting more uh, getting his life together with Phil Towel and yeah. The, what was the, the phrase the that he used? Uh, zone it. Zone. Yeah, he's maybe he's zoning, zoning it. it. <laughs> All right. What's your next song? Okay, my next song is very catchy. Speaking of production. what I call everything but the kitchen sink production but I I don't think it's overproduced not in the way it like it's a good song in there it's a good hooky song so I think it still works whereas I think the later uh Lang stuff I think is just just there's, there's there's no the 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 production almost substitutes for the lack of 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 a really good hook who produced that uh I believe that was Jim Steinman hmm. uh but I'll tell you, it 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 it, it works. Oh, you, did you say the title? I'm sorry, in case people are oh, listening. Oh, uh, Meatloaf, I do anything for love. <laughs> he had an odd career, Meatloaf. I mean, he was around. He had the huge album in in the late '70s. He had the uh, the the Bad Out of Hell one, which was was a monster. Al- was it was one of those albums that just hung around on the charts for a real long time. It just was known for being... It didn't even have any really... I mean, it, it, it was successful and it had a few hits, but they weren't huge hits. They weren't like number one hits. They just were songs that hung around and uh, the album just stayed, just kept, just sold and kept selling. And and then his career, he kind of... He and um, Jim Steinman, who was his songwriter, who he worked with, uh, split. They, they didn't work together. And uh, they went their separate ways. And Jim Steinman created some of the big hits of the 80s. But um, Meatloaf sort of just languished for a long time. And it was 16 years after that album, he did The Bad Out of Hell 2. 
and bet and this song was a number one gave him a number one hit and the album was huge yeah so did we ever find out the thing he won't do for love well he won't do that right that did, is, yeah I, I don't know what that is I just <laughs> assumed it was some gay shit <laughs> it's a fun song and it's got Hooks galore. Yeah, you know, it's weird. He he. I always felt like his voice was overqualified for his songs. <laughs> you know, he had such a, like, an operaic voice. Yeah, he, he was a really good... He threw away a lot of years that he could have kept going, that he could have... Did he ever have any issues with uh, substance abuse or anything like that? I, not, I, I don't know. I mean... Sending his daughter to a, a liberal arts school? Yeah. <laughs> Jason and I went to school with his daughter. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different that's a different that's podcast. A different, yeah. All right, my next song is Candyman Knocking Boots. Ah. For those that want to get busy, busy, you got to speak up now. Now. This one, this time, is one of a kind, blowing your mind like only the Candyman can. Like a heavyweight champion, knocking them out, another bow without a doubt. Once again, you can scream and shout when I rock the bells, yell out my name. This is what you've been missing. Listen to my heartbeat while I'm whispering. I know you're suffering. So sweet a Candyman, sweet nothing's hugging and tugging and rubbing, loving it all, having a ball. All y'all girlies next to me, talking sex to me. We can't do that yet, but I bet we'll chill. Candyman, tell them the truth. We'll still end up knocking the boots. Ooh, boy, I love you so. Never, ever, ever gonna let you go. Once I get so, uh, my hands yeah, on can, you. That was uh, Candyman. Um, that was uh, from 1990 from his album Ain't No Shame in My Game. Uh, his, his name was Candell Manson. Uh, and the samples that you're listening to are Ooh Boy by Rose Royce and Tonight is the Night by um, uh, Benny, Benny Wright. Um, Betty Wright. Yeah, Betty Wright. And uh, he was Tone Loke's protege. And a lot of people thought that, that was, it was actually Tone Loke doing it. Um, you know, Tone Loke had, he also had uh, Young MC as his protege. Uh, I don't know. For me, that, I like this song because it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty slick song. Uh, I think the production is pretty tight. The samples are there and they're very effective. And it's not pretentious. He's just saying. Hey girl, I'm look. I'm, I really want to fuck you, and you know he and he comes in when he needs to, and he highlights the the samples when they're he's supposed to, and I think he knows his limitations. So this is the true definition of a one-hit wonder, because I don't know anything else about uh, uh, Carlton Manson. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't mind. It's not one of my favorites in the period, but I, I didn't mind the song. I thought it was decent. I mean, I think it's a heck of a lot better than most of what you hear in hip hop now. Um, came and went. Did its did its thing. I, you know, t- talking about Tone Loke. I mean, that's that's an interesting subject. I thought Tone Loke was going to have a bigger career. I mean, he was like the first guy to really have like a number one multi platinum album. Rap. I mean, Beastie Boys did it with the uh, license to Will, but uh, well, he, okay. So he had Funky Com. Well, what was his first hit? Oh, Wild Thing, Wild and then Thing Funky Comedina. Yeah. From the same album, right? From the same album. Yeah. Did both of those to go number one? Uh, no, I, I think Funky Comedina went. I mean, it probably went like top five. It must have went. Five. It, was, it was a big hit. Yeah, both both songs were big hits. The album. By, by the way, uh, uh, this knocking knocking the knocking boots. When it was certified platinum uh, December of 1990, um, and it peaked at number number nine in Billboard. Yeah, I remember it well. It was it's a good solid song for the genre. It was it was fine. But oh, sorry, sorry. To get back to, to Tone Loke, so both of those uh, singles, um, I assume they must have been certified platinum. Yeah, they did. They, right, from yeah. from that one. They album. were big. They were big singles, right? Back in those days, it was you know if you had a really big single, it would go platinum because people would buy the physical single, buy the the, the record single or whatever. That was a big album, and then it sort of fell by the wayside. And he was so, he was totally forgotten. And then what? 
Did he have a, he must, he had a follow-up? You, I don't even remember a follow-up album. He must have had a follow-up that flopped. He must have. I don't remember it. Like, I, like you talk about Young MC. Young MC had that first album, did very well. Uh, and then he released the second album. I remember the second album got hype when it was released, and then it just sort of fell by the wayside. Tone Loke, I don't even remember a follow-up. I don't remember a follow-up with him. He just disappeared. Tone Loke, if you're listening, we... We care about you, and we hope you're doing well. Maybe they can put in a double bill with the third damn Yankees album. <laughs> well, he was good in Heat. Remember, he was he was in Heat. Yeah, he has that scene with Al Pacino. That's true. All right, what's your next song? Okay, my next one is you know you think of this guy and you think of uh, you, you know, American Pie was uh, was a was a huge hit, but he actually had a really big song with the, hit with this one that's sort of forgotten. It's a cover. Music to rate cats to. I could smile That's that's his song? Yep. Well, you know, it was originally a Roy Orbison hit. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... But he did a remake of it that he actually... Oh, sorry. Had... Do you want to give the title for Peter? That, that's Don McLean with Crying from 1980. Um, what's funny about that song for me is that was a big hit. That was a top... That gave him a top 10 hit. So he got a top 10 hit with a cover. But that song was all over the radio. Like, you couldn't escape it back when it was a hit. And that was when I was at my peak of, of getting Star Wars figures. <laughs> so I just associate that with going to the store and buying Star Wars figures. Um, but it's a good, catchy song, and he, he gives a very nice performance of it. And, and actually got the ultimate compliment, because Roy Orbison apparently went to him later and told him that, wow, I should have used your arrangement as my arrangement. Wow. Now, is Don McLean a, a wealthy man? He's he's got some money. I mean, I'm sure he's not. He's probably did did, did all right for himself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's he's not Jimmy Buffett. Was that a hit for him? That was a top ten hit. Yeah, that oh. was a big song. That was that was actually one of those songs that was in that time frame. That was around a lot. You heard that? I could you couldn't go anywhere without hearing that song. I think it was like maybe number seven, number eight on the charts. It went to. What was your favorite Star Wars figure that you owned? At that time, you know, it was funny. Um, I remember hearing this song specifically and going to service merchandise and getting the uh, the the Imperial officer figure, and I liked that figure. <laughs> was he crying? You have been crying when he's <laughs> <Yeah>. getting crushed. <laughs> Whenever I hear that song, I think of that action figure, which I still have to this day. George, George Lucas isn't crying. <laughs> Not crying when he goes to the bank. All right, my next song, I guess this is my number three. Um, I Love You Came Too Late by Joey McIntyre. Maybe listen, <laughs> if I had the chance, I'd see the words. Come on.
fault the guy who says he's gonna give his life for yesterday. <laughs> Come on. So yeah, so obviously Joy McIntyre is from New Kids on the Block. Um, uh, this was from 1999 from his album uh, Stay the Same. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people, are, I guess, critics say "Stay the Same" is the, the better of the song, the better of the singles. You know, I, I like, I, I do like that song. That that's that's, I think that's got a lot in it. You've got like the the chorus of the black singers in there and everything like that. But I don't know. This was the first single. I, I don't know. I like it. I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of a throwback to. You know, you have a, a guy. You know, he's he's singing, and I think he's showcasing his voice, which I think a lot of times, uh, you know, those those singers of that, you know, that the boy. Look, I, I'm not a fan of the the boy band era, so this is why it kind of like makes my list. But a lot of those singers were talented, and they just kind of, I think they kind of, for whatever reason, maybe compromised some of their talent to fit a niche. Uh, I, I think Joy McIntyre was always kind of uh, recognized as, as a talent uh, very early on, even when he was a, like a really young kid in New Kids on the Block. Um, uh, I, I like the song. I think it's very catchy. And I think I like the video, too, where he's uh, kind of singing to the girl in the diner. Yeah, um, this came out around the same time Jordan Knight had Give It To You, from also from New Kids on the Block, and, and they were sort of parallel. They, they sort of came out around the same time. Um, they, uh, so sort of the era of the new kids solo stuff, solo projects. It was a, it's a decent, it's, yeah, it's a perfectly decent pop song. I, I, I heard it at the time. I have no problem with it. It's good. It's, yeah, it's... I thought they, I thought their solo efforts would do a lot better than they did. Yeah. I, you know, I, I thought Joey McIntyre would, would, would spin off to a pretty decent solo career. And he really didn't. This came. It it came. It went. This was. I think this hit the top ten. I know it did all right. And then it just came and did what it did, and it went. And in his album, did the same thing. And 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 Jordan Knight did about the same. I mean, yeah. Jordan Knight's album. He had a top ten hit, and the album came and went. That was it. Nobody stays on top forever. Nope. You certainly don't. When when the industry's done with you, it's done with you. What's your next song? Okay, this is an interesting guilty hit. Um, this came out back in 79. It was a big comeback for a, a certain uh, female star. the title that is Dion Warwick I'll never love this way again and she probably didn't <laughs> she produced by Barry Manilow wow um she had been a big star in the 60s she had quite a few hits she had racked up quite a few hits and into the early 70s and then she fell by the wayside and her career was kind of done or looking like it was done and she signed with uh Clive Davis and is uh, Arista. I never figured out how you pronounce it. Arista, Arista Records, and um, that was that launched her as an act on his label, and she had big success with that and had a nice run in this in the in the '80s as a as a as a major as a fairly major act. Does who else does that song? 
Somebody else? I don't think any. I, I mean, someone may have covered it. I don't know if they did. I feel like I heard that from a male, like a male's voice. You could have. I mean, I I wouldn't dispute that. I I, I don't. John know. Davidson. Yeah, I'm sure Don da- John Davidson <laughs> did a cover of it at one point or another. It was a nice comeback single. Gave her a top ten hit. Was exactly what you want when you when you when you you want out of a comeback song. Uses her voice very well. Nicely produced. Who would have thought that? She would outlive Whitney Houston. Yeah, I know, I know. That's crazy. Of all those of those soul singers of, of that era, I think she's she's one that is definitely overlooked. Yeah, she had a great voice. Um, she's got a very nice, a very good, solid catalog. Her, her her greatest hits, which which is what I my copy of the song is from, is a good showcase with the. A lot of good material. Yeah, very good song. All right. So, uh, ready for my next one? Ready for the next one. Uh, <laughs> this one is a, a the epitome of um, guilty pleasure. It is Sexual Capacity by Color Me Bad. Wow, Sexual Capacity. I never knew someone like you would come my way To tell the truth I can't help but be a little afraid I think your love might be A little too much for me Now we can get sexual Girl, I wanna be around Every day and night Now we can get sexual Just as long as you know I said you capacity Sexual Capacity uh, was from their 1996 album Now and Forever. You know, using the word forever is always the kiss of death of any, of any band. Um, the sample that you're listening to is from uh, Slick Rick's Children's Story. You know, I, everybody, anybody that, that knows my musical taste knows that I, I, I am an f- a, a actual fan of Color Me Bad. I, I think they were, they were always an underappreciated a ba- uh, 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 group because I don't think you could ever you can really put them in like what were they, were they a boy band were they like a uh, like a duop band what what were they a lot of it was corny and I, I I get that I will admit to that but I think a lot I think their harmonies were were generally really good and I think the the chorus on this maybe not be the greatest but I think the the vocals on this I I, I think are very strong. I think they're really unappreciated. I think they're much better than than people that got success singing the same shit like Robin Thicke. And I, it's to me, and I think it's really sad that you know by '96 they were done. I mean, I want to sex you up was '91. There was the Apex. Uh, you know, they had you know I adore me more around. That's that you know that that '91 '92, and then they fell off. You know, they they that had first album was big. Yeah, that, that first album had quite a few hits off of it. That that really had 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 a number of hits. But yeah, they dropped their drop off was pretty. I quick. assume you're you're not up to speed with your uh, C and B like I am. So, but honestly, <laughs> like hearing that for the well, I that's, assume that's for the first, first time. That's my first time ever hearing that song. <laughs> so what, what are your I mean, and you know be, be, be honest, I'm sure whatever you're thinking, like I'm sure people listening are probably look. I are, don't mind them. I don't think they were bad. I mean, uh, um, I want to sex you up, I, I, despite the fact that. It's been made fun of quite a few times for its lyrical content. I think it's a perfectly fine song. Um, I adore Mia Moore. They were, they, I think they were. They had like five, five All for singles one. Off oh of yeah, their, yeah, yeah. Off of that that first album, and then even the second album with Time and Chance yeah. had some had some decent stuff. Well, Time and Chance has uh, uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis on it. Yeah, I, I thought that had. I, I see. I, I didn't even have to look that up. <laughs> you didn't have to look that up. <laughs> I. Um, you know, we're going back quite a few years, so I can't name specific songs. I did have that. You had time and chance. Yeah, because of uh, uh, <laughs> a friend of you lost mine. Lost a bet. A friend of mine um, got BMG and got the wrong bunch of CDs, and it was like R&B themed C- CDs, and that was one of them, and he didn't even want it, so he gave it to me, and of course didn't pay BMG. Um, uh, and uh, so I, 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 I took it. It was free, so I, I grabbed it. And, and I actually 
thought, I mean, it had a lot of filler on it, but I thought it was a pretty decent album. The third album, I don't I that I didn't hear anything from. Or I don't they also waited a long time, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's... Time and Chance was... Time and Chance 90, is like 93. So, yeah. so you're talking, their 91 was their, their, their peak, and 93... I mean, 93, they were... The, the, the 90, Time and Chance sold a lot less than the first album did. So then they waited three years after that to release the third album. By then, it's, it's way too late. Yeah, I'm sure the record... Co- uh, whether they were on Giant. I'm sure they were they were like... They were kicking themselves. They like, may have even been merged into another label, because I'm not even sure Giant was around by that time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's Call Me Bad. That's, you know, I, I will defend Call Me Bad forever. Uh, um, and respect them, yes. Jason, what's your next song? Okay, this one is considered maybe one of the ultimate all-time guilty pleasures, but it's a fun song, and it's got a killer solo from one of my favorite guitarists, Steve Lukather. I didn't know he was on this song. Steve Lukather's playing guitar on this. Steve Lukather's playing guitar on like any song from this period. Too bad he wasn't in the video. Great guitar solo. Was he wearing the the, the headband, the sweatband? Probably. Like, probably. When I saw Toto in concert, he actually mentioned this. <laughs> just, just on record, why don't you just tell us the title of that? That is Olivia Newton-John Physical from 1981. Now, did, were you like me where you got her greatest hits and she's like like putting her <laughs> forearm over her head? I never had the greatest hits when it was when it was new. I, I got her greatest hits that came out like a decade later called Back to Basics. It's weird. So that is so the you know the, the iconic that's called yeah. Olivia Newton-John's Greatest yes. Hits Volume Two, right? So even because even Volume as, One, she, she as was a actually, kid, I was like, what what what? These yeah. are all her hits. What what, well, what the fuck's on Volume One? Volume One. She was actually a country act. She started as a country act, and she had a whole run of hits, like I Honestly Love You, and a whole bunch of songs that were big hits on their own right, as country songs. So Greatest Hits Volume 1 is those songs. Oh, I, I've never even heard that. That's like the first time I'm hearing it. So she had a whole second career, because then she did Grease, and Grease turned her, and she started, started after Grease, doing more right. pop-oriented stuff. So, But she was a country act. What year is that? 81. That was a huge hit. That was the song of the... If, if ever there's a song that dominates a year, it's that song. That was, Grease is 82? No, Grease was 78. Oh, oh okay. I, but, actually, I never... I mean, I think we're the same, right? We never, you never saw Grease, right? I saw Grease in the theater. When it was, oh, okay. When, in the yeah. movie theater. Wow. Okay, yeah, I never saw Grease. In seven, when it was out, which is like 78. But um, she parlayed that into pop success, and she had this... And and she had a whole bunch of hits in the in the eighties, a whole bunch of pop hits. She had a whole run. <clears throat> Man, I had such a crush on her. Oh, I did too. I think everybody did. I I, I really did. Um, 
I had a crush on Anne Murray too. But that's a that's a different podcast. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a, that's a podcast of its own. But you know, Olivia. That's but remember when this video came out? It was yeah. like provocative. Yeah, well, it was. It's, it's definitely a, a, a strange <laughs> video. But I never saw the video till years later. I was I like I said I, I like I've told you before. It's, it's I, well, it's it's kind of it. I well, it went from being like provocative because she's in it and she's hot. But you also had guys like you had yeah. guys like. Uh, you know, like, like backup quarterbacks with mustaches, <laughs> you know, uh, like, like, yeah. helping each other work out. I never saw the video till it was it was out. It, it was already years old, but I remember this song was all over the radio. I lived in Elkhart, Indiana at the time, and, <coughs> and this song was everywhere. And you know what's funny? This song was number one. This song was number one for like ten weeks. So you're talking. Two and a half months, this was the number one song in the country. You know what number two was right behind it? Foreigner, Waiting for a Girl Like You, which was, a, this is like the era of the monster hits. I mean, those were two songs. Just think, those two songs you could not escape. Did Foreigner ever get to number one? Ever knock no, her out? No, she kept them out. Yeah, fuck you, Lou Graham. <laughs> she kept them out. Well, they, they, they did, no... They did not with that song. They did. Uh, I want to know what love well, is. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but no, I but meant that, like, that song never hit number one. No, they st- that stayed at number two, and she was number one, and that was just a huge hit. All right, so my number one guilty pleasure. Uh, I love it. You'll hate it. Song. Although Jason, I I know you're not going to dislike this song. It is. Um, I haven't disliked any of the picks so far. <laughs> I'm sure uh, anybody that's still listening is like, oh my god, <laughs> let this be over. It'll be over soon, folks. Just okay. Here it is, number one, and it's it, not a guilty pleasure for me. I, I genuinely, truly like this song. It is uh, Michael Bolton's <laughs> "Fighting for My Life." What the fuck are you laughing at? album from 1983 uh the great bruce kulik is on that uh, there's not much i need to say about that you know it's weird i I know people you know when you say michael bolton to people obviously it's you you get a certain facial expression from people because he he's known for his you know his his covers and and a lot of people don't like them but i've always felt i've always felt like his voice fit this genre better like he's got more of a rocker's voice yeah Michael Bolton would, yeah, he 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 could have stayed in, in pop metal and probably done pretty well for himself. I mean, not that he didn't do well switching <laughs> to more of an R and B thing, uh, but he wouldn't have done as well. His R and B stuff, though, I mean, once once he made that transition from like the the album The Hunger on, he changed. I I I don't think he's bad. I, I a lot of people rip on Michael Bolton. He's but I, I I respect him. I, I respect those albums. I respect those, all those '80s albums. Uh, going into the '90s. Did you ever read anything about like his conscious decision to, to do? Well, he's got sitting on the first cover is sitting on Dock of the Bay, which is on the Hunger, right? Right. Yeah. The Hunger was his album where he transitioned, where where he started shifting from from a more rock oriented sound to 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 more of the the soul singer that he would he would become, although some would dispute that. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, he, 
that but that album brought him commercial success that he really hadn't had. So why wouldn't you switch to that? And then he did Soul Provider, and Soul Soul Provider blew him wide open. That I mean that was a big album. And then Time, Love, and Tenderness is even bigger than that. That was a huge album. And he, but, but did you do you, you uh, have you ever read or heard anything of him like speaking about that transition no. or how he felt about this? I haven't really heard life. any interviews with him. I mean, he really... I, I don't hear much about that. I wonder if you wa- if you go to, like, I don't know, whatever amphitheater that he play, like performed, up until when he performed, did he do stuff like this? Or is it, or is it all, like, Ray Charles? I covered? would imagine he was only doing the, the, the stuff from, from The Hunger on. The Hunger was where he really became a big act. I mean, that was a platinum album. That was That was a big deal album. But really, this album, unfortunately, and it's a great album, it's a perfect 80s pop album, it really didn't do that well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people are like, who the fuck is this yeah, guy? Yeah, Fool's Game got a little airplay, I think, but, but, but it, wasn't, it wasn't a huge album. And then he had another album called Everybody's Crazy, where he really went pop metal. And, uh, that's Between? That's Between. <laughs> and that didn't do anything. So, what's he going to do? Then he switched... Then you got Neil Schoen and Jonathan Cain from Journey, and he made The Hunger. Bruce, it's Bruce Kulick on that. I don't know, no. By that, by, by that, by then Bruce Kulick was in Kiss. Oh, the fun times for him. I wonder what Bruce, what Bruce Kulick. Uh, he must have a lot of stories. <laughs> I'm sure he does. <laughs> I'm sure he does. Because the Michael Bolton he worked with, obviously, you know, wasn't the Michael. He, yeah, he missed. He missed the big superstar, Michael. Well, that guy was. He was a guy who was probably listening. God, I wonder what he was listening to when he was younger. <laughs> he probably listened to like maybe you know probably Led Zeppelin or. Yeah, Michael Bolton was a full-blown rock guy, as you right. can hear there. And, and so he, like, just imagine the conversations he had with Bruce Kulick. Yeah, they are probably he talking talk, about rock. Maybe and talked about Kiss. But, but you know, he, he did, I mean, you know, he's considered, a lot of people laugh at Michael Bolton, and they think he does bad covers. But I seem to remember when Sitting on the Dock of the Bay was was, 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 was a hit, and it was, it, was, it was his breakthrough. It was like a top ten hit, I think. Um... I seem to remember an interview with uh, Otis Redding's widow where she said, this is... This is <laughs> what this, killed this, him. This, this, yeah. <laughs> oh, she said something like, she gave him a really high compliment. She said, this is the song I, I my husband would have wanted you to have done it this way. Or something Did like you... Didn't, you, didn't we go to school with somebody that you knew that knew his daughters? Yes, I knew somebody who, was, who went to school with his two daughters. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, he said that they were brats. He said they were snobbish, yeah. Well, I may have mentioned this before on the show. I ran into Michael Bolton in New York on two different occasions. Now, obviously, we didn't exchange email addresses or, or anything like that. But they were very brief, and both times he was very nice. And I don't know. He seems like he seemed like a nice guy. He really did. He seemed like a... The first time I said, "Hey, Michael Bolton, like your 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 stuff's awesome." He said, "Thanks," and he shook my hand. And then I don't know, God, maybe a, a year later, a year and a half later, I ran into him again. I said, "Oh my God, I ran into you on Fifth Avenue." It's like, "Hey, nice seeing you, man. Like, I'm still a fan." He said, "Great, that's awesome." He shook he he that time he extended his hand to me, so I shook Michael Bolton's hand twice. How do you like that? You women, women, w- women, you know, women over in your mid forties. How do you like that? No, he. he so anyway, not, that's neither here nor there. I think he, he, he's. Uh, this genre of his catalog is is definitely underappreciated. So well, hell, I think I think time, love, and tenderness is underappreciated. <laughs> I think his hair is underappreciated. Okay, Jason, what's your What's your number one? Oh, didn't I? Uh, didn't I do? Didn't? Oh, wait, oh, okay. So, oh yeah. So you went first. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Right, so. I mean, I can certainly pull out another one if you want. Let's do it. Let, let's do a bonus. You track. You want a for bonus you. track? Yeah. Okay. This is what I was actually originally gonna pick, and then I decided on the. By other the way, one. I was gonna pick uh, physical too. That all that I had my. Really? That was my honorable wow, mention. that's a that that's a good coincidence. Well, then I might as well pick what I was originally gonna pick, but I decided on physical instead. But let's do it anyway. Here we go. It's crazy nice, isn't it? Till the moment was right, and I 
That's Peter Cetera with Amy Grant, Next Time I Fall. A number one song from 1986. So basically he's saying, I, I, I don't like you, but the next time I fall the in next love, time I fall in it, love it's going to be you. So yeah. just hang on tight, bitch. Yeah, just, just wait it out while I wait to dump this, this one I'm with now. So that 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 wasn't uh, that wasn't. Um, uh, are you sure you're not confused? That wasn't Lita Ford and. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I I think that's a really good song um, uh, that came out in yeah that 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 was a big song for me in that period of time. Got a lot of airplay on VH1. MTV wouldn't touch it, but VH1 in those days played. Wait, what lot. year is what year did you say that was? Eighty-six. Eighty-six. Yeah. 86 going into 87. Wow. So I guess that, yes. Yeah, the Solitude that, Solitaire album. That, that was, was when he left Chicago. You know, he was, he, he left Chicago after Chicago 17. And that was, and that was did. after, God, what, what year was Cry to Kid 2? Well, that was 86. Yeah. Okay, so the same year? Yeah. So, oh, so he did a Brian, Brian Adams, right? He kind of. Yeah, he had his, his, mon- he had this, this, Solitude Solitaire was his, you remember, you, you, you had the two rivalries in that period. You had um, Sammy Hagar, I mean, uh, David Lee Roth versus Van Halen, versus the Sammy Hagar Van Halen. And you had Peter Cetera versus Chicago. I imagine he crushed them, right? He won that battle, yes, but they won in the long run. Well, fuck them. I mean, he's, he's Peter Cetera. <laughs> but he, Solitude Solitaire, did pretty well. He did well, yeah. So that this so he really, he had uh, the power of love from Credit Kid Two, and then he followed up with this. Yes, exactly. So what what were some other singles from that album? Those were the two big hits. I mean, huh. I, I don't even remember what the other single was. There was another single that was a more minor hit. Is he is he's American? Oh yeah, yeah, very much. Yeah. Where where is he from? Chicago. Oh, he's from Chicago. He's from the Chicago area. I thought maybe they recruited him. And then he had um, um, a third album. See, he actually released a debut album back in like 82 when he was still with Chicago. That didn't sell that well. Then he had Solitude Solitaire, which was a big album because it had the two big hits. It had two number one hits. This one and the, the Power of Love, which were both really big hits. And so Solitude Solitaire did pretty did well. And then he had a third album... And he had One Good Woman was the single from that. And that was a big hit in the summer of 88. And then that kind of, he kind of dried up his hit making machine after that. And where was Amy Grant's career? She was sort of just, she was big on the Christian scene. But she was sort of just taking off. Like she wasn't really a pop star at that point. She would actually become a pop star in a few years. She had that boy, Baby Baby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that year? Same year? No, that was later. That was later. She was a country... She was like a country Christian sort of act. I remember her... They, they like, really reviled her when she hooked up with Vince Gill. Oh, yeah. And they, they, like... She dumped the other husband? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he he seemed like a real dipshit. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, man, it's Vince Gill. Vince fucking Gill. Chapman, I think his name was. Yeah, then she she went for, for... Vince Gill and she, but she she's actually had a very respectable career, quite a few hit albums, nice run. But this sort of put her on the pop landscape. Do you think he fucked her? Um, I personally, I think probably did. Yeah, <laughs> at least one. She was back then. She was stunning. Oh she yeah, really. I mean, she still looks good now, but she she was she was stunning back. then. That was that was her her premium her, her apex. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but that was a big song. That was a big. That was all. That was like VH1 played that like every hour for 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 months. <laughs> we were made for this, <laughs> and 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 Richard Marks. Yeah, in, in a year or so. All right, so that's that's some of our. That's some of our uh, guilty pleasures. Uh, let us know what some of your uh, guilty pleasures are and, and what you think of ours. Um, thank you, as always, for listening. And, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear what uh, some of your 
uh, songs are that you know what that that you know that you're 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 uh, a little secretive when uh, when it comes on and your and your on your iPod or iPhone or, or your iPhone when you're listening and you you kind of you know you kind of tuck it away when you don't want anybody to know but deep down inside you you really love that song so let us know what those songs are uh, thank you for listening Bodhisattva go out and do good in the world thanks guys. I can't deny it, but I know you can.